Welcome to N20XX. This series takes the listener, year by year, into the future. From 2040 to 2195. If you like emerging tech, ecotech, futurism, permaculture, apocalyptic survival scenarios, and disruptive science, sit back and enjoy short stories that showcase my research into how the future may play out. The following contains depictions of violence. Listener discretion is advised. Fewer high school graduates go to college. Why go to college if you can get a job at a robot company tomorrow? The robot companies offer testing, leading-edge education for free, and high-paying jobs. Robot companies want you to get the highest education you can, and their schools are better than most colleges. People who work with robots are the new middle class. Some are fools about money, splurging on things with no lasting value. But others pace themselves. Look at Tamika, in Philadelphia. She marries and buys a newly built house. Her friends tell her she's too tight with her money. She should splurge a little, kick back, and enjoy her wealth a little more. She works in skill development, overseeing a few hundred people who tile sections of flooring day after day to record their skills in 3D. In large warehouses, the setters fill chalked-off areas with tile. The grout never dries. When each space is finished, the setter scrapes up the tiles and grout, a new area is chalked out, and the setter starts a new section. Tamika analyzes simulations to determine what new training data is needed. The simulated robots can tile pools and fountains, but still muck up stairs. She plans with the set builders to construct all manner of stairs the setters can tile. On the drive home, she calls Corey, her husband, for the second time without him answering. Is that going to be a new thing? He's usually great about getting back to her. Her other apps float in front of the dash. She taps the podcast play button, and a femme's voice starts speaking, it's okay for black women to reinvest in themselves. It's okay to treat yourself. It's okay to surround yourself with things that make you feel good and make you feel luxurious. Tamika chews her lower lip and moves her gaze all about as she remembers what she said to others during the day. Did she sound like she knew what she was talking about? The car turns a corner, and Tamika laughs when she sees maid robots leaving a dilapidated building. Everyone uses maids these days. Even poor people can afford them. It's around $15 to clean an apartment. It's $45 for her house, but she has more rooms. How much did a human maid charge, like $190 to clean an apartment? She helped record human maids before the robot maids were rolled out. When she gets out of the car, her two dogs run up to her. What the hell are they doing outside, not on leashes? How long have they been out here? Fear tugs downward at her heart. She grabs both dogs by their collars. Shoot, the car just drove away. The front door is wide open. What's this? She leads the dogs to the door and calls inside. Corey? No answer. The lights are off. Should she go inside? What if Corey is inside and hurt? She touches the side of her glasses and says, call 911. The phone rings then a femme voice, probably AI, answers, 911, what's your emergency? She tells them the situation, and they say they'll send an automated officer that can be controlled remotely by a human officer if needed. She steps inside, closing the door behind her and letting her dogs loose. The dogs run down the hall. She walks room to room calling, Corey? In the kitchen, she finds him curled on the floor. His head rests in a pool of blood. She runs to him, and falls to her knees, shaking him and crying, Corey? Corey? When she gets back from the hospital at midnight, she discovers the front door lock is completely broken. She pushes a chest of drawers in front of the door, goes upstairs, and tries to get some sleep. 
The next morning, she calls in sick. Then she calls a friend who recently had her house robbed. She says, they say he'll be okay. I was so scared. Her friend tells her a lot of houses are getting burglarized. There's a crime wave because people can't get their old jobs back, and law enforcement still needs rebuilding. Tamika calls a construction company to build a seven-foot wall around her property. Its gate can only be unlocked with a key chip. She has her key chip embedded near her left thumb. The wall has spikes along the top. Robots complete the solid brick wall in two days. Another company installs sleepless cameras along the wall. Sleepless cameras record 24-7 and stream directly to a website hosting the footage that anyone can see. Businesses, institutions, homeowners, and property owners keep their surveillance on this service. It makes it a lot easier for officers to access the footage. At times, people go missing, no leads materialize, and suspects remain on the loose. Concerned citizens go through sleepless footage and find clues, leads, and where people are. Cases have been solved because of sleepless. Missing persons have been found. So every day, thousands more cameras are added to the site. A map shows all the camera locations, and you can click on them to watch their feeds. The moving truck parks on a side street in front of a warehouse. Two men climb out of the cab and walk to the back, both dressed in camo. One rolls up the door. Three men inside, stand. The two from the front climb into the back. Inside, all five pull masks over their heads. Random padding in the masks obscure head shapes and facial features. The masks are tear-resistant and hard to pull off. The men put on goggles that look like mirrors on the outside, hiding their eyes. They buckle on belts that hold guns, knives, and batons. They strap on chest shields, leg guards, arm guards, and back plates. Their helmets have bulletproof polyfoil and shatterproof face shields. Polyfoil-toed boots clunk when they step. They adorn themselves with Tucker Group insignia, flaming crosses over American flags. Patches say things like, sinner beware. They load up with tear gas, bear spray, and brass knuckles. When they climb out the back and lock up, a couple pushing a baby carriage on the other side of the street notices them, turns around, and heads back to where they came from. The father calls 911. The Tucker Group eagerly march down the street. One carries a Tucker Group flag and another waves an American flag. The neighborhood transitions from commercial to residential. Each block brings them closer to the event. Families with little children see them, grab their children, and retreat. High schoolers and young adults stop and point. An old man doesn't notice them in time, and they knock him down as they cross his path. As they get closer, they pass more people. An old rock song plays, warped by the Doppler effect. Voices cheer. They split up behind the crowd of parade watchers. One of the Tuckers, Kay, pushes his way through the crowd. A tall, beautiful woman wearing a hippie dress spits at Kay. Her loogie hangs on his face shield. A five-year-old boy wearing a dress hangs onto her leg. Kay would have hit her in the face if not for her child being there. On second thought, Kay draws his club back. Two Antifa knock him sideways. He falls over a woman in a wheelchair. Those gays in the parade keep marching. Getting to his feet, he pulls a pin from a tear gas canister and throws it at the parade. Then he starts swinging his baton. Antifa crowd around him. They're going to smother him. He grabs his bear spray out of his pocket and sprays everyone around him. That stupid loogie is right there in the middle of his face shield. That pisses him off more than everything else. He tries to push his way to the parade. Does everyone here wear so much bright colors just to piss him off? Some in the crowd try to get away from him, but others latch onto him and pull him back. We're there so many kids here? Don't liberals know this is a war zone? Over his earpiece, Spencer says, move out. Party's over. Kay falls back from three Antifa pushing him away from the crowd. He spins around and there stands a young trans girl. 
Later he'll learn she's 16. He draws his club way back. Nobody grabs it. He leaps up, and as he comes down, he smashes his club on the trans girl's face. She doesn't just fall. She spins falling, crashing on the sidewalk. He's the Almighty's warrior. He takes off. He did it. Those Antifa tried to get in his way. He hears a group sound behind him that twists in his gut and twists in the back of his brain. The sound is deeply mournful, outraged, and heartbroken. Weirdly he envisions himself striking his baby brother. That sound sucked balls. He should've worn earplugs. War is hell and this is a war worth fighting. He tries to run faster, faster. Panic sets in when he doesn't remember the way back to the truck. That would suck major if he gets lost now. So many have foldables and pen-sized cameras pointed at him, or touch the rims of their glasses, recording. There's the post office on the right. He looks up and spots a girl on the roof of a two-story building, pointing a fat camera lens at him. She won't be able to see him smile through his mask, but he flips her off. A few blocks away and the people on the street are none the wiser where he just came from, but he still runs. There was that one Tucker dude who disappeared when he rioted at a gay parade. Just totally disappeared. He's probably in heaven now. That's what Pastor John says. All God's warriors are guaranteed a place in heaven no matter what. Any other way, there's always a chance you won't make it. A place in heaven no matter what. That's better than winning the lottery. He spots the moving truck. $19 a day is printed in big letters on the front. Buzzing sounds get louder behind him and he looks back. Two electric bikes follow, the riders dressed in black. One rider steers with one hand and holds a camera with the other, pointing the camera at Kay. He races to the truck, runs around to the back, and rolls on board. The others are already inside. Mike pulls the door down, and the truck squeals into the street before the door is closed. Kevin says, you okay? Carol's on his back and says, get me out of this liberal hellhole. Why the fuck does he feel like his insides are being shredded? This is stupid. He can't let the others see. Wait, he still has the mask on. They won't be able to tell. He just needs to get home and alone for a few days. It's that stupid hippie girl. If she were ugly he wouldn't feel this way. See, it's evil the advantage godless women can claim over men. That's why the Bible needs to be enforced like law in the land. And she'd be his barefoot wife only looking him in the eye when he says it's okay. The bastard's son would go to an orphanage. Kay will never raise another man's son. Why the fuck do they turn a gay parade into a family affair? Before he knows what he's doing, he punches the floor with his fist. The pain overpowers all his other sensations, and he feels fucking great for a second. Mike utters a stern laugh and says, man, chill. The party's over. Kay has a clear visual memory of the last time he went to a fairground filled with families milling around, but this time he's running around dressed like he is now. Don't they know this is a war zone? He wants to recoil. He must have really pissed Satan off. The devil is twisting his thoughts. Satan is stabbing him in the sphincter right now. That's proof that he did the right thing. Satan is all aflame, all up in his grill. Kevin says, listen. Mike says, what? Kevin says, I don't hear cops. Carol's off the floor and into a seated position against the wall before the others ask questions. Kevin says, hey man, isn't your mascot? Kay waves his hand in the air as if to say, go away. Surrounded by houseplants, Lena sits at her desk. On one monitor, she has four live camera streams. On the other monitor, she has the map. By pressing one through four and clicking on the map she can change streams. Though she lives in Germany, she watches the American parade through live cams, and she sees a plume of smoke rising, causing parade participants to scatter. On the map, she clicks on a camera nearest the smoke, just in time to see the Tucker dude struggling with anti-fascists. He spins around and strikes a teen girl. 
She goes down like a house of cards. He's dressed head to toe in bulletproof body armor, she wears a summer dress and sandals. Then he takes off running. Lena watches him and clicks on cameras on her second monitor map, ahead of where he runs. Because he's in the city, she can watch him through many cameras at once. She continues to hop cameras to track him. He reaches one of those rent-to-move trucks and climbs in the back. Then the trucks get it away. It becomes harder to track him. The truck only takes a few seconds to pass through each stream. Luckily the truck has large letter advertising printed all over it. It takes a ramp onto a freeway, and Lena hops cameras for miles, waiting and watching the truck drive through each stream. Outside of the city, it exits the freeway and merges onto a two-lane highway. On the map, far fewer cameras dot the highway. After a few miles, she watches the truck drive out of one feed and clicks four cameras far ahead. She waits. It never enters a camera stream. She clicks on charge station cameras, parking lot cameras, and sidewalk cameras on local roads all over the region. No truck. Returning to the last cam where she saw them, she rewinds the feed until she sees them again. She swipes left in front of herself, and apps appear through her AR glasses. She clicks on the note-taking app and says out loud the time and place last spotted. Then she clicks local road cameras in the area, rewinds them to that time, and waits. Hours later, she still hasn't found the truck. Usually, she takes a break before making a video, but this time she goes right into splicing together all her screen recordings and putting together a documentary of the Tucker douche, attacking a girl, climbing into the truck, and the long truck drive into another state. In her video, she includes times, locations, and links to sleepless cam feeds where anyone can watch the original footage themselves. It's possible someone can rewind sleepless footage and find out where that moving truck went. As her documentary uploads, she takes the end of one of her pigtails to absent-mindedly brush her neck. With an oval face, large ears, and blonde hair, Kay sits on his couch using a dating app through his glasses. He's been texting back and forth with Wendy, a girl who lives in a nearby town, the town where he went to middle school. He likes to look at her profile pictures while waiting for her response. There's one picture of her at a wedding, one of her at a baseball game, and one of her at the beach. He likes the one of her at the beach the most. The one of her at the wedding shows more bare shoulders, but he likes the idea of her wearing a bathing suit, even if most of her is out of the shot. She texts, I'm not talking about us, we haven't even gone out yet. But do you ever see yourself having children? Just curious. He stares at the keyboard floating above his lap and thinks about what'll be best to text back. He knows what she wants to hear, but how can he come off sounding sincere? A video he watched on how to seduce girls said, what exactly did it say? Always tell a story. Don't just say I have lots of money. Say my money manager helps me manage all my money. Shit, this dating stuff is hard. Crap. He starts to text, I always wanted to be a father. He starts hitting the back button with his paw. To be a father, that's why I'm on this app. He taps away at the back button again. His phone rings. The phone icon dances above and to the left of the dating app, so he taps it. Spencer says hi Kay. We're going to have to meet somewhere else besides the garage tonight. Kay can hear a dog barking in the background. He says, why? Spencer says, oh, Mike and I were there talking yesterday, and our conversation got recorded and posted online. The place is bugged. I've been trying to find the bug, but I can't. We're just going to have to meet at Don's Diner. An icy sensation creeps over Kay. He says, dude, that's, I mean that's impossible. We're off the map. Who, like, how, where? Someone ratted on us. Who posted it? What are you guys saying? Spencer says, I don't think our cover's blown. But don't go near the garage. 
I think some prankster snuck into the garage and planted a recording device and just happened to catch us talking about you know what. Kay says, this is crazy. How do you find out? Spencer says, bruh, you've got to chill. Someone send the link to Mike's boss. Kay says, but you're Mike's boss. Spencer says, exactly. See, whoever did it doesn't know us. Kay feels cold dampness on his cheeks. His jaw aches. Spencer doesn't have to worry about work reputation, but Kay works for Giantess. Giantess imports their liberal elitist garbage, so a text like that could get Kay in trouble. But he's got to play it cool. The Tucker groups don't like panickers. He says, Don's diner? Spencer says, you got it. When Lena sees close-up footage of the trans girl getting struck by the Tucker dude, she literally pukes. Okay, she's bulimic, but she hasn't puked for 94 days. After puking, she goes out to the back porch and cries. Her dog lies beside her, resting its head on her leg and looking up at her, worried. Lots of people emailed Lena about the sleepless footage she posted and invite her to group pages dedicated to the terrorist attack. A femme who followed the moving truck on a motorcycle posts the license plate of the truck. Lena calls moving companies and says, I dropped my engagement ring in the cab of one of your trucks. The license is NIN 989. She finds a live feed of the truck parked next to a self-storage, so she makes coffee and leans back to watch the feed played in reverse, going back in time. The cam records from above. On the night after the riot, the dark parking lot briefly lights up as the truck pulls in. Two men climb out of the cab then three climb out of the back. They walk all puffed up. Even in the dark feed, Lena can't tell their hair is all messed up. Their clothes look wet or dried stiff. They carry filled duffel bags and flags rolled up on flagpoles. She clicks on the lobby cam and the front door cam, then enters the time when the truck arrived. With both cams going, she sees light change outside the front door, and inside, the vacant lobby briefly blazes with light as the truck pulls into the lot. Two minutes later all five come into the lobby. There are all their faces, naked for all the world to scrutinize. She spots the one who hit the 16-year-old. He looks paranoid, eyes darting around and scowling. If someone didn't know where they came from, they may assume the five just got back from a long hunting trip, looking like they haven't showered for days. They probably reeked of tear gas and bear spray. All wear holstered guns. One wears brass knuckles. For the next eight hours, Lena uses sleepless cams to follow each of them to their cars, each of the cars to their homes, and all five of them entering their homes late at night. Two of them have sleepless doorbell cams. She live streams the whole time and answers questions in the chat. One femme chats, I want to get those fuckers so bad. Kay drives the company truck out to a neighborhood everyone calls Horny Housewife Suburb and parks behind a stalled robot. He grabs his box of most used tools off the passenger seat and saunters up to the robot. This always boosts his ego. It's a sure bet that someone watches him from inside one of those houses, even though over half the houses look abandoned. The last time he fixed a robot in these parts, two kids rode up on bikes and asked him questions, which he got a kick out of, but now the memory throws him into a state of depression. He'd hate it if kids, especially girls, tried to talk to him today. So fucked up. The devil goes after warriors for God. He never had to play this head game like this before. See that? See how Satan just did that in his mind. Lord Jesus, protect him. He's father material. He'd always make his kids go to church. It's not about the kids. It's about gays being sinners. Stay focused. No objects block the robot's wheels. He sets the toolbox down and unscrews the back panel. Twenty minutes later when he turns to get more tools off the truck, he spots a black van stopped in the middle of the street, two people in the front. A woman holds a camera in front of her face. He jumps. What should he do? 
He can't pretend he doesn't see them. Look at them right by his truck filming him. The man in the driver's seat looks thin but criminal, with mirrored glasses and completely still. Kay's fists clench. He snarls and snorts. If he goes up to them that means he blows his cover, right? But he can't stand for this. He speed walks forward, shouting, hey, what are you filming? The van lurches forward. Kay skids to a stop and the van speeds by. The woman screams out the window, Mother Tucker. He shouts after them, I'll have my gun on me next time. One post piques the interest of many people, who do some searching and make posts of their own. Of course, everyone knows posting useful information on the terrorists is guaranteed clicks, likes, comments, and subscribes. Someone uses facial recognition software to find criminal records on two of the five guys. Lots of people use internet scrubbing software to match the faces to all the online information about the five. Where they work, where they shop, and nefarious places they may sneak off to at night. Their histories are put together and posted in growing user groups. That's all amateur achievements. Real hackers can't resist finding out deeds of ownership, business license, DNA samples, and most used IP addresses. Hackers run quantum password crackers on the Tucker's personal connect links. They hack into four out of five. One hacker knows the fifth Tucker plays behind enemy lines. He finds the Tucker in-game and offers him a gun. When the Tucker claims the gun, it asks him to authenticate. A window pops up where he can type in his Connect password and username. He doesn't know that he just allowed second-party access to his Connect Link's administrative account. Four of the Tuckers sit at the large round table in Don's diner. They take turns telling the robot what they want to eat. Spencer asks, did you charge us separately? The robot says, yes, I charged four separate accounts. The sun sets and the sky looks red. Kay stares, scowling. Kevin says, what's your problem? Kay says, what makes you so certain we aren't being bugged here? Kevin says, ah geez, nobody cares. You aren't good looking, so why would anyone notice you? Kay asks Spencer, where's Ron? Spencer says, he had to go to the police station. It's probably about child support payments. Just then Ron's face appears on the screen over the counter, on the local evening news. Kay partly stands and points. Look, it's Ron. The others exchange confused glances. Kay snaps his fingers and says, play me audio for that screen. He looks at the screen so his glasses can detect his eye direction. Through his glasses the news audio plays, Ron Sands has been arrested for smuggling illegal weapons including bombs and bomb-making material. The local police have him in custody now. His bail is set at 1 million. Kay says, Ron's been arrested. Spencer says, food's here. He pulls a pill canister out of his breast pocket. Kay, don't take this the wrong way. This is Pexin. I saw a video of a gangster who takes Pexin for a shootout he was in. Kay waves the bottle away. As they eat Kay says, aren't you worried about Ron? Kevin says, Ron knows the sheriff. He'll probably work it out. A group of four teens stands outside on the sidewalk right next to the window where the Tuckers sit. Kay finds it very irritating, and he can't explain to himself why. Detecting they sneak glances at him, he doesn't want to make eye contact with them, and the other Tuckers don't seem to notice at all. As Kay eats, he's pretty sure one of the teens takes a foldable out and snaps a picture of him, but he doesn't want to look over and engage. His appetite evaporates, his heart races, and he finds it hard to stay seated. He wants to run out there and beat the shit out of those kids. Spencer says, our last picnic was a success, and we should talk about the next parade, I mean picnic. Kay says, can you be more careful? The other three stare at him. Spencer says, no one's noticing us. Look around, just a bunch of retired folks in here. Kay realizes the teens are gone. 
That's a relief. Spencer mentions a few cities and dates, but no one seems to be feeling it tonight. Spencer says, let's meet a week from now. I'm sure Kay will feel better by then. Kay partly bares his teeth. He could just sock Spencer. They all step out into the quiet night and part ways. The others cross the street. Kay walks around the restaurant and into the alley. His truck is all covered with wet red paint and scratches, hundreds of scratches all over the front. He looks at the side of the truck. The tires are slashed several times. Not just slashes, they look like they've been cut clear through with laser cutters. He runs around the block shouting, where are those fucking kids? I'll kill them. I swear, I'll kill them. He has his hand on his gun in its holster and unsnaps the safety strap. Down the street, through alleys, backtracking to go down cross streets, eventually, he loses his breath and needs to slow down. Two of the teens sit on rocking chairs on a porch, their legs up, resting on a weather-worn coffee table. Kay marches toward them. He'll make them talk. He'll smack them around. They'll tell him who's behind this. As he crosses the yard a shadow falls over the front screen door. A large man fills the doorway. Kay slows as the screen squeaks open. The man steps out on the porch and watches Kay. The two teen girls who are eating raisins from single-serve boxes, silently watch Kay. Kay stops and waits for the man to say something. If these were better days like the 1950s when folks treated other folks decently, the man would have said something. Kay takes his hand off his gun, slowly turns, and walks down the sidewalk. He hates that it feels like he has his tail tucked between his legs. A hacker finds a file. Tucker Kevin recorded the whole thing. The five of them renting the moving truck, the long drive, the dressing up in masks and body shields, Kevin's three minutes hitting bystanders and throwing tear gas, and the long drive back. For years most recording devices have included encrypted authenticator metadata that's impossible to practically fake. The data links each frame to Kevin's body cam, the time, and the place. The hacker uploads the entire 12 hours of footage, including close-ups of the five tuckers, engaging in a lot of banal conversation, long silences, and nose-picking. Others post videos of each tucker putting on his mask side by side with his pedestrian assaults wearing that mask. On Late Night with Dwayne Middleton the actor Oscar Grass, introduced as drop-dead gorgeous leans back next to Dwayne's desk. The audience claps. Dwayne looks at Oscar with a smirk and says, well, you've been busy lately with your new film, but what I and the audience want to know is, what have you really been up to? Laughter, clapping, Oscar looks out at the audience smiling, furrowing his brow and tilting his head as if to say, who me? Dwayne smirks and purses his lips. More laughter and clapping. Oscar leans toward Dwayne and says, well I'll tell you, I've been sucked down a rabbit hole. Dwayne says, sucked down a rabbit hole? Oscar looks out at the audience and nods fervently, that's right, I got sucked right into a long and twisted rabbit hole. Have you heard about the tirgasing of the LGBTQ parade a few days ago? The audience boos and moans with solidarity. Oscar nods and says, I know, it's terrible. I'm sure you've heard about the 16-year-old who suffered a concussion. I'm sorry to say, she died of complications today. He waves his hand to shush the audience then says, the internet is exploding with hours and hours of evidence linking five men to the attacks. Everyone, you just must search Tucker Group Parade Attack. Prepare to have your minds blown. You don't need to wait for the movie to come out. Random citizens have linked DNA from the crime scene to a diner. They tracked where the masks were purchased. It's like binging a crime series, but it's happening in real time. The only thing missing is the police. He nods to an uproar of clapping, stomping, and hoots. At the same time, Kate texts the girl on the dating app. She ghosted him. The weird thing is, she deleted her profile. Four of her social website profiles are also now missing. 
He's used to online rejection, who isn't, but this is different. He has a pretty good idea what neighborhood she lives in, should he drive around there and maybe run into her? A pain thuds his chest. He downs five beers one after the next, and jumps to his feet at a loud banging. The chopping of copters approaches from the distance. Though there are no streetlights on his street, bright light comes in through all the windows. Arms out, he rapidly looks every which way. A voice on the loudspeaker says, Kay Anderson, come out with your hands up. Your house is surrounded. Through the window, he sees one of those cop bots standing in his yard. Thank you for listening. I will never run ads on this podcast. Please take the time to rate, review, and subscribe so that more future-minded people can find this show. My landing page is solomeshun.com. There, you can find the companion website to this podcast that includes a timeline and illustrations.